Welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. I'm Maverick Willett, and I've helped thousands of divorcees and single moms get snatched waist, jaw-dropping booties, and confidence that captivates the attention of men in every room, all without dieting, cutting carbs, giving up wine night, or starving yourself. Hello, hello, you amazing ladies, and maybe a couple gentlemen. I don't know. The dudes listen to this podcast? You're welcome here. How are y'all doing? I'm recording this on Monday, the 5th of June. We're already in June, man. Crazy. I was so excited to podcast today. I have kind of had a podcast block, <laughs> the equivalent of writer's block. I don't know. I've had that for a little while because sometimes I, it's either self-limiting beliefs that I, I, what I have to say isn't really interesting or you, you all won't like it, or it's just, I can't really think of shit to talk about. But today I have a lot of shit to talk about and I'm super excited about it, you know? And realize that the majority of this stuff is coming from my own experience, shortcomings, mistakes, et cetera. I had a pretty big breakthrough recently in my self-work in realizing that in my efforts to impact and help you all, sometimes it can be perceived as if I have it all figured out. And upon that realization, and that realization was come to with the help of my amazing mentor. But I I just I I never want to seem like that. I want to be truly as authentic as I can possibly be. And in the, in the pursuit of that, I just want to always let you all know that I still struggle so much with a lot of things, but a part of my growth has been realizing that admitting wrong or admitting mistakes or admitting struggles does not make you not credible or take away from how amazing you are, the impact you can have. And I also firmly believe in the eight mile philosophy, which I kind of just coined in this moment. But that is, you know, at the end of eight mile, he's a freestyling Clarence, <laughs> as we come to find out. And he just admit, he, he gives all these damaging emis- admissions, right? Damaging admissions. I don't want to get that confused with damaging emissions. That's what I have after a bunch of beans, right? Or a bunch of protein, damaging emissions. Gas joke. Damaging admissions would be, you know, everything. He basically tells everything that the, the guy that his opposition is about to say about him, right? He's like, I am white. I am a fucking punk. I do live in a trailer, mom. Cheddar Bob did shoot, you know, I do, I do have a friend that Cheddar Bob shot. You, you guys get the idea, right? Cheddar Bob shot himself in the dick. And he just lays it all out there. And then the guy just he gives the guy the microphone. He's like, tell these people something they don't know about me. And then the guy has nothing to say, right? He's like, damn, I was just going to, he just took everything I was going to say. And so I, I believe doing that is, is, while it's super hard and exposing and vulnerable, to pretend that we have it all figured out is just unrealistic. Nobody's got it all figured out. In fact, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. That's the, that's the crux of self-work is like every realization I have and every new frontier I seek. I realize how much I don't know. And nothing teaches you that more than parenting. My goodness. When you have to embody and model, you know, what health and integration is for a young being, man, it really calls in every ounce of integrity you have. And and that's and so those of you who are parents know that. It's like, man, I thought I had my shit together, but then when I gotta, you know, model composure and integrity for someone who I greatly love and care about more than anything in the world. That's when we really call that integrity with self in. So anyway, a few things I want to talk about today. 
that I think will be really helpful. And, and obviously, you know, the overarching theme of my content is losing body fat, but more so losing, more so just prolonging your life, feeling your best, performing your best, raising your quality of life. And the body composition usually comes with that to an extent, right? Especially if you're dealing with struggles with weight loss, et cetera. All this stuff, the, the mind has to come first. The body will always follow the mind. And as I do this longer and longer, this being, you know, coaching, impacting women in a meaningful way, I learn more and more, you know, the mind must come first because the body gets easy after the mind. But if, if you haven't, if you haven't addressed the dysfunction in your mind, the body will never come because the body only follows the mind. So when we think about this, one of the things that is really helpful when, when you're trying to, you know, improve your behavior with food, improve the way you see your body and, the, and, then, and then ultimately improve the way you feel day to day and live a healthier life is your patterns. And a lot of us are locked into patterns, whether we know it or not. A lot of us know it, right? And a, and a lot of us don't know it. And a lot of us, and that's just part of the journey, right? You don't have to know all of your patterns in order to change. But it, this first step, I believe, in changing patterns is going to be that awareness, right? You have to be aware to be able to change, right? And so I, I think, and, and all this is coming from my own journey with changing patterns. I've had patterns throughout my life that were, you know, especially back when I was really doing some damaging stuff to myself and others, I was, you know, I had such a distortion of reality and I was locked into those patterns. So awareness of the patterns, I believe is step one. You know, what are your patterns, right? If, if, if you have a result that keeps happening in your life, I mean, this is a dead giveaway. If you don't know if you have patterns, just look at the trajectory of your life. Look at the trajectory of your relationships. Look at your overall well-being. And if it, it can, you continuously keep coming back to a place that's painful or a place that's not congruent with what you want, then that's a telltale sign that there's something within yourself that needs to be addressed. And I'm a huge, huge advocate of ownership. Ownership, 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 meaning, you know, your outward circumstances are a reflection of your inner beliefs. And you, it's much easier to change ourselves than to change other people, right? So it just, it, you waste less time when you point the finger at yourself and, and work on what you can change within yourself rather than pointing the finger elsewhere. I'm someone who used to blame everyone, right? I used to be stuck in victimhood. And blame all my problems on, you know, just my lack of luck or other people or what have you, whether it's in relationship and career, et cetera. Right. So the second I just started saying, you know what? I'm the common denominator here. You know, I'm I'm in all these relationships that continue ending in dysfunction. I'm I'm I am to blame. I am the one. Now, again, I wanna I wanna stress that taking ownership doesn't there's not some studio audience watching you. It's going to be like, oh, what a defective person. What a, what a loser, what a flawed person if you take ownership. I think people fear that like admitting you're, you have contributed to your circumstances somehow makes you defective or like you lose points or that you're someone, somehow now you're a step behind everybody. No, you're a step ahead because the majority of people stay in victimhood and it keeps you miserable. So owning the circumstances that are leading to patterns is, is key. That was really big for me when I had to, you know, for me, it was like relationship after relationship was just ending in turmoil. And I've seen the firsthand turnaround from 
the changing of patterns, contributing to different outcomes. I am now confidently able to handle tough conversations. It's a skill to be able to, to, to handle things differently. It's, 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 it comes with reps. So that's the whole point I'm, I'm getting to here. You can't change patterns overnight. You're very unlikely to. You're just, it's, it just takes time because a pattern is a pattern because it's become ingrained, right? So you have to, it's a process. And so the first step is awareness. The next step, I think, is just when, when that decision comes up where you normally would do something self-sabotaging, whether it's, you know, binge eating or running away from conflict or pushing people away or insulting to protect yourself or, you know, just like getting really defensive or getting triggered and lashing out or whatever it is. Attempting to make a different decision. And, and at first, you're not going to know what to do. You're like, okay, well, this is, if this is the, the decision I don't want to do, what's the right decision? And at first, it's just anything other than that. Because the fear is that with making a new decision, there's an unknown there. It's like, well, but I'm, I'm so used to running back to my partner when he or she invalidates me. Or, or you know, when we get in a fight and I run out and slam the door or he does that. I'm so used to running back after because it's safe because it's, it's, it, that's what I know. That's the neighborhood that I know, right? Like I, I hate this neighborhood, but at least I know my way around. That's the root of all, you know, all of us stating in a pattern. It's I hate, I hate this neighborhood, but at least I know my way around. Better the devil that you know rather than the devil you don't. That's the mantra of somebody stuck in dysfunction. And again, I'm speaking from experience. So it's like, Try, just trying something new and different is the next step. It's like, okay, instead of running back to them and trying to, let's say you're like me and you're like, a, you have a history of anxious attachment. And so like a fight happens and now it's like, oh no, losing this person equals death for me. So even though I've been walked on or I got a boundary violated or I was insulted, et cetera, I'm going to go back and make it right and own all of it, even though it's not mine to own necessarily, just to make things feel stable so that I'm okay because I can't be okay until this relationship or this person is okay, right? Like that's, that's a huge sign of an anxious attacher, right? And I don't like labels. I don't like to say, well, I'm an anxious attacher. Just like I don't like Zodiac. I think it's fucking dumb. But labels are helpful sometimes. Not Zodiac, but labels within, you know, personalities and, and patterns in relationship are, are helpful so you can understand yourself better. And so that was, you know, anxious attachment style. It's kind of described some of my behavior to a T. I think with all these labels, you just take what lands, discard what doesn't. The key is to, to apply it, to help it, you work on it and change it, right? And, and so maybe it's, maybe instead of running back to that person, you go do something that pours into yourself. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you go exercise. And, 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 and like, so for me, that was hard. Instead of running back to what was familiar and what soothed me in that moment, and again, this can apply to many different behaviors, whether it's binge eating, whether it's like sexual compulsion, whether it's drugs, alcohol, you're used to running back to that thing to soothe yourself. It's like, oh, this is what I'm, this is what's familiar. This is home for me. And ironically, it's the thing that's keeping me fucked up, right? And unhappy. So instead of that, I'm going to go do this. And this can be literally anything at first. It's just something different. The key here is you made it to the other side and you survived. You're still alive. So for me, instead of running back to, oh, I'm so sorry. It was all my fault. You know, let's just, just make me okay. I would go for a walk. Maybe it's, maybe it's I go for a workout. Maybe it's I listen to music. Maybe it's I go read a book. Maybe it's I go eat. Maybe it's, maybe I go hang out with a male friend, cultivate some male companionship in a healthy way, right? Anything to replace the thing that I don't want to do. And then at the end of that, 
Like it's just proving to yourself and your subconscious mind that, oh, I live. I didn't do that. I didn't do what I'm used to. And it was super scary and uncomfortable, but I lived on the other side. That's, that's your first rep. Those of you who are familiar with working out and you've done your first squat and then you hear your thousandth squat is way different from your first squat or bench press or whatever. Or take any, anything you're good at, any sport. Those of you that play basketball, your very first free throw that you shot, the difference between that and your thousandth through free throw. Those of you that, that have done anything, maybe it's, it's, it's knitting, right? The first time you tried to knit. It's a very simple concept to understand, but it's harder to apply. But sometimes analogies help. So it's like the, th- the thousandth time you choose yourself is going to be way easier and way more fulfilling than the, the first time you do it, right? And there's, it's going to be way less scary. You got to trust yourself. You got to bet on yourself. You have made it through a lot of shit. All of you listening, you've made it through a lot and you handled it. You can handle this. So that's another key mantra with like anxiety and stuff like that. I can handle it. I can handle it. Just repeating to yourself over and over, right? That was really key for me in changing some of my behavior. So first step is awareness. Second step is just replacing it with something. And the third step, I think, is just, just sticking with it. This isn't, this isn't like a, <laughs> it's just, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. This is just what, what worked for me, y'all. Okay, just disclaimer. But then just sticking with it. And in time and with reps, you start to trust yourself more and more. And you do that uncomfortable, or you do the, the familiar thing less and less. Now, with that being said, you are probably going to go back to that thing a few times, maybe many times in this process. And the key there is to not beat yourself up when you do. That's what you're used to. Of course, you're going to go back to it a few times. But don't beat yourself up. And then like, okay, so another example would be one pattern I have in relationships is I would, this is a toxic trait I used to have. I learned as a child. I would, I like, I would like walk out of the room to make a point. Like if we weren't getting anywhere, we're just butting heads. No one was, we couldn't communicate. It was like, she was speaking Japanese. I was speaking English. And I'm not referring to anyone particular. This is just me in relationships sometimes. I would walk out of the room. I'd say something, get the last word, walk out of the room, shut the door behind me. And that was literally just a, <laughs> a coping thing or like a, a thing that I was used to doing. And so the beautiful thing about this, you know, changing your patterns is the, at first I still did it. And then I would come, but then I, I'd come back into the room and I would say, hey, I, I know I just did that and that's not the right answer. And I'm trying to change that. And, you know, I, I would rather stay in the arena with you. Okay. So that's, that's one. I did it, but then I came back and I, I recognized it. I owned it, right? Something I'm trying to change. I think that's big. Second stage of that would be, I start to do it and then I catch myself. Like I get up off the couch and I start to walk out and it's like, ah, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't, I, I've done this. I recognize what I'm doing right now. It's something I used to do and I don't want to do it. I'm going to stay. I would actually say that out loud. I'd be like, I don't want to do this. I'm actually going to stay in the arena with you right now instead of walking out. Right. And, uh, and then the last step would be you're in, you're in the arena with, with the person, you're in a tense conversation or a conflict and you're not getting anywhere or whatever. And you feel your nervous system lighting on fire and you feel yourself wanting to get up. And it's like, I'm not going to get up. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay in this arena with you. Right. I'm going to stay right. And so like that, that is like the stages of it. And that did not happen overnight. That happened. That took place over a long period of trying to correct it, working with a professional here and there and, and really just really working on it, you know, but that's the beauty. It's like now. I struggle a lot less with that. I still have things I struggle with, but that one in particular, I struggle a lot less with. So how does this apply to body transformation? Well, okay, all of you have patterns with shit, with eating, with food, with your body, with whether it's like, okay, I labeled a food bad over the weekend. Like I had something over the weekend. I ate some breakfast pizza and Marge with the girls for brunch. 
And I overdid it, and or I think I overdid it. And I've labeled that bad because someone gave me that story that doing that is bad. And now I feel pulled to go do extra cardio or some stupid ass diet like keto or fast. I'm not shaming you, by the way. I'm just, you know, that we all know those things aren't the answer. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna race, I'm gonna race this thing with an extreme overcorrection, right? Uh, and so you feel yourself going there, right? Maybe, maybe the next time you're like, okay, okay, I feel myself going there. This time I'm gonna make a different decision. I'm just gonna instead of going on the spin class and starving myself, I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to, I'm going to still go to the spin class, but I'm gonna make sure I eat, right? Even though, even though my body's telling me eating equals fat. The scale said I'm fat. I, I, sh- I shouldn't eat because if I eat, I'm going to get fatter, even though you just like fight against that and you eat a good breakfast anyway. And then over time, you, you feel the, the pull to do it. And then over time, maybe you don't even do the thing on the weekend, right? Just, it's just every, it's different for everybody, right? And we, and we see this in a different aspect with every client. But, you know, the, changing those patterns don't happen overnight. So that is consciously noticing and changing patterns is something that is, is a skill and it's something that you develop in time and with reps. And the main point I want to get across is don't, beat yourself up when you succumb to the patterns so long as you're aware of them, right? Like as long as you're aware of them and you're trying to change, it, the change will come. Trust yourself to make that change and you can. Also realize the other part of this is if you have something that's sabotaging yourself, you have something that shows up in relationship within yourself or elsewhere, realize that these parts of you that you don't like, they're not you. They're aspects of you. It's not the whole self. And acknowledging that you're wrong is not an assault on your entire being. We see this online all the time. And I used to, I still struggle with this at times. I still, I don't even want to say I used to because I still struggle with this. I see it all the time with like negative comments, like and hateful comments. People just like, you're wrong. You're fucking stupid. And it's like, okay, but I have data and literature, mountains of it. Well, I'm not going to change this internet person's fucking mind. Like their, their comment is, is literally an admission of inferiority or an, an unhealed wound. How am I going to change their mind via internet keyboard battle? I'm not. And now I'm a lot better with it. Sometimes I just play with them, you know, and I'm just like, hey, I, you're right. Can you expand on that? Maybe in two to three more comments to boost posts. And, okay, that's petty. So as you can see, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm petty, man. I'll admit it. I'm petty. If somebody says some real dumb shit on one of my posts, I'll, I'll just egg them on. I'll be like, oh my gosh. I didn't totally didn't think of that. Can you, would you mind expanding in two to three more comments so you boost the post and the algorithm? So like, this is, this is a part of the pattern changing, y'all. This is a part of the pattern changing. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing something different, right? Doing something different. <laughs> Not the right answer. I think the right answer would just be like, that's a great perspective. Thank you for sharing. You know, even if they call me a dumb shit, just being like, that's a great perspective. Thank you for sharing. You know, like, because you can't win. You're never going to win, dude. And yet I still, it still gets under my skin. That's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but anyway, so like, again, this, this can really be applied in relationship. Acknowledging your shortcomings, your struggles, your challenges, your perceived flaws. It's not an assault on your entire being. You know, like for me to admit that comments still get under my skin, that's not an assault on my entire being. I'm just human. And you all are just human if you still struggle with shit. Acknowledging those struggles is a great way to take power away from them. Here's a great way to do this with a partner or even in a brand new relationship. If you really want to rip off that band-aid and get vulnerable from the start and live in truth, which is something I'm learning more and more is 
it makes life so much easier. It's harder in the short term because it's uncomfortable to have conversations because you're afraid of like, what's the other person going to think? What's the outcome going to be? But I'm here to tell you all, the more you live in truth, it, it just makes life so much easier. Great way to apply this. And this, is, this goes for you all in seasoned relationships or in brand new relationships and with yourself or with a friend or with a parent, whatever, whatever is to play the I'm noticing game. Now, I mean, I got this from my mentor. I, I can't take credit for this at all, but it's something that really made sense to me. And it's really simple. You just play the I'm noticing game. You sit, look each other in the eye. That's what I recommend. Get naked if you really want. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to get naked, but look each other in the eye and say, I'm noticing this. And in that moment, just say what's true for you, right? Just say what's true for you. I'm noticing that, you know, you've been, you make it about yourself first, I recommend. Just like, I'm noticing that I'm feeling a little bit uneasy because we had a conflict earlier and it wasn't really resolved. And then it's their turn. They say something I'm noticing. I'm noticing. I'm noticing. You go back and forth. And what happens is you start peeling back the layers and you establish truth. Some of those truths may be hard to stomach in the moment, but this can promote so much intimacy because there's so many things that we just put a fucking lid on because we're afraid of the conflict it may cause or we're afraid that it might rustle the jimmies of someone or it might expose us or make us lesser than or it's an assault on our entire being when it's not. It's just what's true for us and what's true for us is valid for us. And when you can do this with a partner, like on a regular basis, it it when you live in truth, the the pool of decision, the pool of decisions shrinks, right? So if you can do this with someone new, oh man, that's like you establish truth from the get-go. And it's really fucking cool. But if you can do this and all, but also it's it's great with a with a partner you've had for years just to just to bring truth to the to the table, you know, and, and sometimes you'll you'll unearth some really uncomfortable, painful stuff. But that's beautiful. It's a gift because you can work through it in that moment. And then you just feel this weight lifted off of you because you're no longer, you know, some of us just stay in that lie. Some of us will, will ignore things, push things, you know, put a lid on things. Like someone says something that really bothers us. We'll be like, ah, maybe I'm just overreacting. Maybe I should just not bring that up right now. I really don't like that he did that and it bothers me, but you know, take some bad with the good. No, fuck that. Say what's true for you and, and live in it. And, and moment to moment, that may change. Moment to moment, your truth may change. And that's okay. Say it, put it out there. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to establish intimacy. And again, it shrinks the pool of decisions. If everyone lives in truth, then there's no games. There's no, you know, dodging the, 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 there's no elephants in the room. You literally deflate the elephants and it's so much less stress, right? So that's, you know, that's, that's uncomfortable, but it's, it's very helpful. Just again, this isn't groundbreaking. It's stuff that I've learned that, that can really, really help. And if you have someone that hears your truth and acknowledges it and, and accepts you and you know you're safe, talk about intimacy. This is really big for men too, by the way. Men, especially in regards to sex, we tend to view, and I talked about this on another episode, but we tend to view sex as a performance because of society's, you know, what society tells us we have to be as men. It's like, you have to perform, you know, you have to perform and porn, you know, porn plays into that. It's a whole other thing. Y'all know how I feel about porn, but you know, it's like, oh, we have to, we have to have a huge dick. We got to, we have to perform for 
fucking an hour or else we just wasn't good enough. We're only as good as our last performance. We put so much pressure on ourselves. So imagine a male partner who can tell you in that moment, hey, in this, in, I'm noticing that I'm feeling a little bit nervous about having sex with you because I really want to do a good job. And then imagine for that man how that would feel if you received that and you were like, really? You know, oh my God, I didn't know that about, I didn't, I had no idea. Hey, I, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to feel close to you. It doesn't matter to me if you perform for 35 minutes straight, you know, like fucking Mandingo. It's like Long Dong Silver. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I love you and I want to be close with you, right? Like that would deflate that worry for him. It would take power away from that slave driver that says, you have to perform or you are insufficient, right? And, and vice versa for you. Hey, I'm noticing. And, you know, again, like be as vulnerable as you possibly can be and put it out there as scary as it may be. It's like, hey, I'm noticing that I'm self-conscious about how my stomach looks during sex. And that's why I hide it. I'm noticing. And then for your partner to just receive that and be like, wow, I, I love your stomach. I don't care. I think you look wonderful. You turned me on, you know, and, and but I, I hear you. I have, I have insecurities too. I'm noticing I'm, I'm, I'm really self-conscious about my flaccid penis. That's why I walk around holding it. And I don't ever show you until I'm like at least a little bit erect. I know I'm getting a little bit, I'm, I'm getting real, <laughs> getting into the, the vulnerable stuff here, but that's, you know, I'm just like draw again, I'm drawing on my own experience and, and like knowing men the way I do, knowing myself the way I do. This is just some of the examples, you know, I'm noticing that I'm really nervous about going to your mother-in-law's night because she always criticizes me, you know? And then he goes, and then you go, and, you, and, and, and again, it's, it just applies to partners across the board. But anyway, that's how that, can, that dynamic can really relax and make each other feel safe. Uh, and, and then and again, that's, intimacy is what we, really, what we really want, whether we know it or not, you know? Moving on, being triggered, what a gift. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to talk about this because I, you know, my, my content is very polarizing. Uh, some of the videos and it's purposely polarizing. I, you know, engagement and, and getting attention is the number one skill to have on social media. And if you have a business, then your ability to get attention is like the best skill you can have right now in the algorithm, at least. Right. And so, and, and, and also it's just kind of who I am too, as far as the beliefs that I have, I'm just staying true to my beliefs. A lot of people shy away from saying polarizing things, even though it's what they believe because they don't want to piss people off. Well, you can't please everyone, nor should you want to. And I certainly do not want to. I only want people following me and benefiting from my con content that, you know, are in alignment with what I believe as far as nutrition goes, right? And if, they don't, if they're not in alignment, hopefully they, they if, you know, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not telling everyone to agree with me, but I am going to stick, for, stick up for what I believe in when it comes to nutrition based on my wisdom experience and, and, and through coaching people for years, right? And the data and the literature, which I think is most important, the evidence, right? But I'm using this as, a, as an example, but this can be with anything, right? So like in your life, if someone you, say, if someone you know says something or someone you're close to says something, and when they say it, your nervous system just lights the fuck on fire. You just, oh, like you either get really angry or really scared and your heart starts beating and you just have to like defend yourself or you have to like explode on them or you just like whatever defense mode you go into, that feeling you get when someone says something is a gift. That it's a gift from the universe trying to tell you you have something to heal because there's got to be an element of truth to it. If it didn't, you know, if it upsets you, 
right? And, and I had to learn this. I've had to learn this over and over and over again with these negative comments and interactions I get on social media. Again, it's like if someone makes a negative comment or, or disagrees with me, I had to learn that that is not an assault on my entire being. It doesn't take away all my credibility. I don't have to defend myself. There's, there's a way to have, there's, there's, a very, there's a way to have healthy discourse online, but hardly anyone is capable of that. So that being said, I have to handle, and I haven't handled negative comments very well. I haven't. Like the, the more traction we've gotten, the more negative comments I get. It's just the nature of the beast. And I haven't handled them well. Historically, I'm, I'm getting a little bit better, but usually I would just block them. You know, if it's nasty, I'll still block them. If it's na- if you're just coming here bringing insults, then you can you can you know take that elsewhere. I'm just going to block you because you can't you know you can't use your little fingers to keep scrolling. I have to do it for you. But if someone just disagrees with me and they maybe they do it in a really heated way, I got to be able to withstand that. I got to be able to take that hit. You know, and 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 know that their reality is their reality. It doesn't necessarily negate my reality. It doesn't. And, and my reality doesn't negate their reality. The whole Pilates thing, Jesus, you know, that triggers a lot of people because they interpret it as me saying, well, Pilates sucks and you're stupid for doing it. When I'm just like, no, it's not just, you know, I'm, my content is for people who want to change their body composition and Pilates is optimal for that, right? That's all I'm saying. The mo- it's not the most optimal thing to do. I'm not taking it away from you. You can absolutely still do it and it can contribute to your body composition change, but it's not the most optimal thing. You need to emphasize weightlifting. That's the point, but people don't interpret it that way. And they give me like, they give me a lot of, opposition on, right? Which in truth is a good thing. Like that's what you want from your content. But how this applies to you is just like something your mother-in-law says or something your partner says over and over that triggers you. It's like, why is it triggering you? It's a, it's a gift in that moment to be able to, to pause and say, okay, whoa, wait a minute. I feel myself. This is really lighting myself on fire. I'm, I'm like fight or flight, right? My, my, my heart's starting to beat. I'm starting to go into that defense mode. What a gift to be able to pause and ask myself, why do I feel this way? Let me explore it. Let me unravel it. And that is a skill. But if you can do it, you will handle these things better and more skillfully over time because rarely ever when we react in a triggered way, we rarely ever when we're reactive, does it come out in a way that we want, would prefer, or is congruent with the outcome that we actually desire. So to be able to hear something that triggers us to pause, slow down, regulate our breathing. Because I mean, emotional regulation is a skill that is seeming to be more, more and more rare. And the, it's a skill. So to be able to sharpen this skill when something triggers you, oh man, that's a gift. It's a gift. And I applaud you all that can do this. But emotional regulation, especially if it wasn't modeled for you as a child by your parent, you know, I, I never learned how to do it <laughs> for some reason. Uh, I don't know, really know particularly why, you know, so I, I interpreted that I was abandoned at some point. My parents worked a lot. I don't know if that has anything to do with it because my parents were, you know, that my needs were always met judiciously. But if, if, as a child, I've learned that, you know, with the attachment theory thing, you can interpret that your needs weren't met, even though they were and still store that as trauma in some way or abandonment. So I, I struggled with emotional regulation. And so that's what led to my dysfunction in relationships is, and still does is is since I couldn't regulate, I'm you know and again this is improvement over time. But since I couldn't regulate, I would either need that person to make me okay, or I would soothe in a destructive way, right? So re- being able to regulate your breath, regulate in that moment, know that you're going to be okay, replace that activity with something healthy. You know, it, it's a process, but 
being triggered is literally just a sign that something picked at an unhealed wound. And you can heal that wound and that thing will trigger you less and less over time. The process of self-love, self-assurance. So look at triggers as gifts, y'all. Look at triggers as gifts to understand yourself better. Like, oh, oof, why did this light me on fire? Let me, let me look into this. Thank you, universe. Thank you for this, this trigger. Thank you. I can now, I now found something I can, I can work on and heal. And that doesn't make me a defective person. It just makes me someone who is interested in bringing more manageability to my emotions in my life. Right? This next part, this next part is tough. This next part is tough. And it's going it, to, this right here, I'm glad I just talked about triggers because this may trigger some of y'all. Your sacrifice isn't noble. Now, what do I mean by that? What am I referring to? A lot of parents think that self-abandoning, because that's what it boils down to in a lot of situations, sacrificing their own well-being to serve their children, they believe that that's a sign of nobility for parents. I'm here to tell you it's not, and it's, it's actually setting a dysfunctional example for your kids. Now, what am I referring to here? I'm referring to, we work with a lot of moms, a lot of single moms, okay? And what we see, and when I say we, I mean me, my coaching team and I, we see this belief that it's like, oh, the mark of a good parent, and dads do this too. I've done this. That's why I speak from experience here. I, I, I guilt myself so much. Matter of fact, I'm just going to draw my own, own example so, I can, so I, I'm speaking from experience rather than trying to assume yours. I guilt myself so much still for having to work when I have Denver. So those of you who know, who've been following for a while know that I co-parent with, with Denver's mother, 50-50, great relationship, great communication, very thankful for our dynamic. But that being said, I have them half the time, right? And I work from home. So, and I just, I just struggle with this hardcore because he didn't have school for a couple of weeks. And I'm sure his mom did too. But when he's here and... I have to work as well. No matter how I, you know, cut it, I I can't schedule all my work outside of like when he's napping or when he's asleep at night, right? Like that's just unrealistic unless somebody works in Australia or something. I can't, or not Australia, like somewhere, you know, somewhere where it's like daytime when it's nighttime here. I I, I have to work when he's here. I have to do get do meetings. I have to do calls when he is here. Now, my my normal parental belief is that, oh my God, I'm working. I'm not, I'm abandoning him. I'm, I'm neglecting him because he's in the living room right now watching, not right now in this moment, I don't have him today, but it, you know, normally if I'm like on a work call, say a group call with my clients or a, a, a meeting with a business partner, whatever it is, he's in the living room watching Blippy and I'm in here on a work call. It's like, oh my God, he's, he wants my attention and I'm not giving it to him because I'm prioritizing work and I'm going to just I'm, 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 God, I'm focusing on creating a, a, a career more than I am a life. And he's, he's not getting the attention that he needs. And he's going he's gonna to say that his dad wasn't present. And he's going to, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I have all these thoughts while I'm on these calls or while I'm working while he's here. But the fact is, if I had a nine to five, like a lot of you do, and I used to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to have this opportunity to even have him here. And the flip side of this is he needs to see me working. He needs to see me working because he needs to understand that money doesn't grow on trees. And the comfort that I can provide him comes from working and earning it. 
He needs to see me working. He needs to see me creating. He needs to see me on group calls. And that's why I let him, whenever he comes in, those, you know, some of my clients will, will be listening to this and be nodding their heads because sometimes he comes in, I just let him sit in my lap, you know, <laughs> because I just, he needs to see me working. Now, obviously there are other times when I, he can't come in the room and I have to tell him, you know, hey buddy, I need you to go back in there and play for a little while while Dada, you know, works, okay? And I help him, I make him understand that or I do my best. And that is okay. And so my point with all this is, a lot of you believe, especially it seems like the mothers that we work with, that you have to sacrifice all of your well-being so that your kids can thrive and that that's noble. Well, what you're actually showing them is that they need to self-abandon. If you self-abandon, they're going to self-abandon. Kids do what they do. They do what we do. They, don't, they, do, they do less of what we say and more of what we do. They model what they see. And so if they see you constantly sacrificing your well-being, your workouts, your nutrition, your sleep in order to serve them, that's not teaching them that you're a good mom. That's teaching them that they need to self-abandon and never feel, you know, they're going to be like, damn, mom was always running ragged, never had a full cup because she was always, you know, providing for us. I guess that's what I'm going to do for my kids. And in relationship, right, you got to model what you want them to, to embody. And so, again, this is a pattern that we talked about earlier. And doing something new is going to be scary. And it might fight everything in your being to actually, you know, go to the gym or get a nanny. Some of you can't afford a nanny. So, hey, work out at home. Use dumbbells and work out. Even if they cry and they want your attention at first, guess what? Kids are really adaptive. They'll get over it. And they're going to see you working out with those dumbbells. They'll probably want to join. If you want your kids to be healthy, you got to be healthy. If you want your kids to have a healthy, long, high quality of life, you got to embody that. You have to model that. And if you've never done it before, now's your chance. To break that pattern because you don't do it because your parents didn't do it. Likely. Right? Like I'm I'm very lucky. My parents were in the gym. They never missed a workout when I was growing up. We had a home gym that really helped a lot. Another luxury I had, another privilege that I'm so thankful for. But like I I, I watched them, I was lucky enough to, to watch them never miss a workout. Both of them, not just my mom, my dad. And for little boys, I think it's super important they see their mom working out too. Cause for dads, it's like. Dudes are, you know, you kind of expect dudes to work out. And if your, your man doesn't work out, I'm sorry. He needs to. It's a whole other thing. <laughs> but little boys seeing their mom work, work out, guess what? It, it, it instills it as a value in them. And they're going to seek partners who value fitness. This has nothing to do with looks. Okay? This has nothing to do with like, oh, I have to have fit chicks as my partner. This is, I want someone who values their health. There is nothing wrong with that. And that is super strong for me. I don't need a fit. Like I don't need a woman with a fit body as my partner. I, need, I do need a, a partner who values their health and fitness at a high level because that is important to me. It lengthens your quality of life. It, it ensures that you're going to be able to enjoy your kids and grandchildren well into retirement age. It, it staves off virtually every comorbidity and early mortality, it's, I mean, there's no reason not to embody health and fitness in your life, right? So like, if you've never embodied it before, if it's never been a value, it's going to take a little time for it to become a part of your identity. But the more that you work on that, guess what? The best gift you can give your, you can give your kids is your own self-work. And sacrificing over and over to meet their needs and, and, and neglecting yours in the process is not noble. It's sabotage. It's sabotaging you. It's sabotaging them. So this is not to make you feel bad. 
This is not to shame you. We all do it. I still do it, but I'm aware of it. And when we're aware of it, it goes back to changing those patterns. We can change it, right? So just notice it. Notice when you feel like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, I got I to gotta stop everything I'm doing and I have to skip a meal because they're, they're, they need me right now. Well, no, you don't. Because if you don't eat that meal, you're going to be starving. And you're going to lose muscle tissue. And then you're going to not be happy with your body and your fitness goals just because they wanted your attention for 20 minutes. You know, you can give them, you can have both. You can give them your attention and you can get your workouts in. And I think, what, disclaimer though, a big misunderstanding with fitness and working out with a lot of parents is that you have to be in the gym for hours. No, you don't. Most of our clients, some of, the, some of our clients with the most dramatic body transformation, they, were, they did like 20-minute workouts. That's all you need. That's all you need. If you're pushing yourself and you're fucking getting it, 20-minute workout is all you need. With some dumbbells, shoot, you can do a lot with a 20-minute workout. Let me learn you something. You don't have to be in the gym for hours. I just took an excuse away. So I know, and look, with all this being said, I'm also saying that this is not easy. I know this isn't easy, right? It's not easy. But we all have a responsibility to model for our kids what we want them to live. And that's a big part of it, right? It's responsibility. Last thing I want to touch on, y'all. I know this is a loaded episode. Hope you enjoy it. This is a big one. Don't stay in dysfunctional relationships for the kids. This is a much broader topic that I could spend a whole episode on. But I see so many people who stay in dysfunction because of their kids. They're like, oh, I got to stay in for the kids. You know what that shows them? <laughs> Nothing but dysfunction and unhealthy shit. That's what that shows them. It doesn't, it's not noble to stay in a dysfunctional relationship where it's, there's conflict running rampant and you hide it from them. And because kids are intuitive. They know you're not happy. If you're in a dysfunctional relationship, it is your responsibility to get help. If, you're, if your goal is to fix or improve the relationship, then get help on both of your ends. If they're not willing, then get out of it. And I know a lot of you are financially tied to someone. Maybe you're with a narcissistic partner who just holds it over your head and it's really hard to get out. Guess what? The discomfort and pain of, and, the, and the struggle of getting out now is far less than the, the struggle and pain you're going to face if you stay in this dysfunction for years to come. And it's going to affect your kids in a negative way. On a much, on a different level, if you have a healthy relationship with your partner, don't hide conflict from your kids. And I don't mean like really bad conflict, like fighting and stuff like that. Obviously, like there's a, there's a time and a place and, and you don't want to like, if it's a really unhealthy conflict, they probably don't need to see that. But if it's a conflict that you can manage healthily in front of them and come, come back together in relationship at the end of it, they need to see that. They need to see you all have a conflict and hash it out. Like if you're fighting over the fucking dishwasher or something or who's taking the kids where or some shit and you have a disagreement, hash it out in front of them. Show them that you can have a tense moment and navigate that healthily and come back to relationship after. Hug each other. I love you. Move on. They need to see that. If you, I can't tell you how many people my age have told me that their parents divorced in their 50s, 60s, whatever. And that they're like, man, I, did, I didn't see it coming. They never fought in front of me. Yeah, they weren't fighting in front of you. They hid it from you. That's what happens. A lot of you are nodding your heads right now because you're like, yep, my parents, yep. I never saw them fight, but they, and some of you did see them fight, but a lot of you didn't because they hid it and 
what did that, what did that show you? Like you, you, you knew your mom wasn't happy. You knew your dad wasn't happy, right? Like stuck it out for the kids. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. It's not noble. Your kids need to see you make a integral decision to leave dysfunction and leave something that's not serving you or serving them. Because if your relationship is in shambles, it takes so much bandwidth to deal with that, that we can't show up elsewhere. Being plugged into dysfunction siphons our energy in all other areas of life. And I know this firsthand. When I have had conflict or dysfunction in relationship, I can't show up and create. I can't make funny content. I can't show up for my clients on a group call and, and like try and act like I got my shit. Like I, you can't. It siphons your energy in your career and your ability to show up for yourself and your ability to have joy and peace and wholeness and love. If you're always plugged into dysfunction. So either have those tough conversations. Don't settle for constant dysfunction. And there's going to be another portion of you who's like, oh, well, marriage isn't all roses and daisies. I know that. But we can still work through dysfunction. We can still work through conflict. We can still address it. We can still have tough conversations. Marriage isn't fucking hell either. Marriage isn't constantly you know, getting invalidated and constantly feeling like you can't speak up and constantly being insulted and constantly being told you're lesser than or whatever. Like it's, it's not that either. We get, you know, when we get the rose tinted glasses on, it's hard to see that dysfunction. It's really hard to see when you're in it. But once the t- toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't get it back in. So as uncomfortable and fearful as you may be about either leaving dysfunction or addressing dysfunction and having a tough conversation, play that I'm noticing game, right? That is way better long-term for you and your kids than staying in that for the kids, whatever belief was given to you. The boomers didn't have that right. Just, just going to tell you, the boomers did not get that right. A lot of the boomer generation are like, oh, let's stick it out for the kids. And it's like, well, you're going to have 30 unhappy years. Don't waste life. There are people in this world who will value you, who will co-create with you. And I know, I, and I also want to acknowledge, there's probably a fear amongst women that you're going to be like damaged goods. Like, oh, nobody's going to want to date a, a single mom. No one's going to want me and my baggage. Somebody will. But you have to heal yourself. You have to work on yourself. You have to become the person you want to attract. And I guarantee you, you will. But you got to do that work yourself first. I get a lot of, on that note, I get a lot of, a lot of, I addressed this pretty head on recently. Someone messaged me and was like, oh man, there needs to be more men like you. The dating pool sucks. And I was like, let me just stop you right there. I was like, you don't know me, first of all. Second of all, it's not the dating pool, right? You Okay, cool. Blaming the dating pool is victimhood mentality. That's you saying everyone else is the problem. Well, there's a common denominator here in every relationship that's not working out. It's you. So if you become the person you want to attract and stop focusing on how shitty, quote unquote, the dating pool is, you'll actually attract higher caliber people. You'll be more proactive about putting yourself in environments that have those higher caliber people that you're trying to attract. They're out there. They just don't hang out on dating apps. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. That's all I got today, y'all. Hope this was valuable. Again, I'm speaking from my imperfect journey with this stuff. Very imperfect. My flaws, I still struggle with a lot of this stuff. And that's why I can speak so strongly on it. I I have struggled with a lot of it in my past and I've worked through it and I still struggle with a lot of stuff. And every day is an opportunity to 
to work on these things. So that's all I'm helping you all do. Hope this lit some light bulbs. Hope y'all have an amazing rest of your week. Life rips, y'all. Life fucking rips. And I won't take any any other belief other than life rips because life does when we let it. All right? Love you all. Have an awesome rest of your week. ESV out. If you liked what you heard on this episode, ladies, share it with your friends. And if you want to finally escape dieting culture and get body results that make your ex wish he never mistreated you, check out the link for the Revenge Body Metabolic Revamp. You can find that in the show notes. And remember, ladies, you are powerful.